Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. And Lord, we pray that as we look at your word today, that you will remind us just how awesome you are in in our lives and how much you have done to make our lives different. And we pray that you'll help us to think of these things and draw closer to you, that we might be more like you, that we might walk by faith and not by sight, that we might reach out to a community that needs the same Savior, and that we might, by example, show them how their lives can be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. First, I want to thank you guys for your patience. I know that a lot of the messages that I've been covering in the past couple of chapters have been actually covering some pretty deep theology. And some of it may have been, some of it was even hard for me to understand. Um, There is an awful lot in the book of Hebrews. I'm actually finishing up chapters 9 and 10 today, um, which is actually the deepest of the overall theology on Christ. The rest of the book deals a lot with, now that you understand what Christ has done for you, this is how your lives should be changed. But today we're finishing up on Christ's sacrifice The name of the message that I titled it in the thing is A Better Offering Made by a Better High Priest. Last week, we looked at the better offering made in a better place. That is the heavenly tabernacle. And we saw that this means we come before a God, and when we come before a God in prayer, We are standing on holy ground and we need to show him the reverence that is due him. One of the preacher's concerns that he addressed in this letter was some of the readers were going to go back to their old way of worship. We saw that at the beginning chapters. And this is why he spent so much time comparing the old way of worship with the new covenant that Jesus established on the cross. If you will, in today's terms, think of it like this. He's holding out a plate filled with rotten bologna and it's all covered with green fur. And he's holding out another plate with prime rib. And he's saying, choose. 
the old covenant, the old sacrifices, and what Jesus did. The old covenant was that rotting meat that had no effect for salvation. And the new covenant is the bread of life. Jesus himself. And I know the question might be that people would say, I'm not Jewish. I've never practiced these old sacrifices. What does anything of this have to do with me? The key distinction that the author of Hebrews was making here is salvation by works versus salvation by faith. It's not a specific practice that is at issue here. Before I got saved, I thought being good and following the Ten Commandments was enough. Some might think, if I'm kind to my fellow man, or if I give to the poor, this will somehow make me worthy to get to heaven. When we come to Christ for salvation, we learn that these kinds of works will never get us to heaven. What would you think if I put a poster up in the back of the church, the 25 rules that will make you a good practicing Christian? I would hope you would think I had slipped a cog and not say, finally, someone who understands that a good church is the church that practices legalism. You see, there are many ways we can slip back into the old way of doing things. When Paul heard that the Galatian church was beginning to require circumcision, he wrote this in his letter to the Galatians. And this is from Galatians 1, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are distressed disturbing you, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching another gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Slipping back to the old way of doing things is not just being mistaken. It is, true, it is teaching by example a different way to salvation. And this different way is not how Christ taught us. That's the importance that he was getting at here. That's the importance that he has been dealing with for these first ten chapters. He's not saying that works aren't important. What he's saying is, 
You'll never get to heaven that way. And if you try to preach that way or live that way, you're not living what Christ taught. And Hebrews 10, 1-4 remind us, For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins, year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bull and goats to take away sins. So what is it that is so different about Christ's sacrifice that makes it better than the blood of animals. To get a better understanding of this, I want to look at a couple of passages in the Old Testament. The first I wanted to look at was in 1 Samuel 15. When Samuel anointed Saul, king of Israel, he told him to go and utterly destroy Amalek. But Saul had other plans. In 1 Samuel 15, 7-9, we read this. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, as you go down to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. When the Lord told Samuel that Saul had done this, Samuel confronted him with these words, and this is for Samuel 15, 19 to 22. Samuel said to Saul, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil, and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord, and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of things, devoted to the destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal, I want you to notice something here. He said, your God. Rather interesting turn of phrase. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey 
is better than sacrifice. Exactly. And to heed than the fat of rams. David penned these words, which are later quoted in Hebrews 10, 5 to 7. This comes from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is in my heart. Can an animal live a righteous life? I don't think so. Can an animal be obedient to God's command? No, they can't even understand God's command. When Jesus came, he lived that righteous life. Remember, obedience is better than sacrifice. He was obedient. He walked in complete obedience to God's commands. When Jesus died on the cross, his sacrifice was a sacrifice of an obedient son. His sacrifice met God's primary requirement, obedience. What was it back in Genesis that separated us from God? Pure and simple. One thing separated us from God, disobedience. They disobeyed God's command and sin came into the world. Jesus, by his obedience, brought righteousness back into the world. His sacrifice didn't just hide our sins. His sacrifice provided that which is missing from the Old Testament sacrifice. His sacrifice gives us righteousness to all who receive the gift he freely gives. Hebrews 10, 8 to 14 continues by saying this. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this, we, will have, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That offering happened once, and it happened for everything. That's what he's saying here. Verse, continuing in verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time 
those who are sanctified. In verse 8 through 10, we see his sacrifice was that of the obedient son, and his sacrifice sets up a new order to replace the old. Verses 11 through 14 continue by telling us that performing sacrifices over and over is to be replaced by something else because Jesus died on the cross. His one sacrifice perfected for all time those who are sanctified. What is this practice that is to replace the old? After all, if we're not supposed to be performing sacrifices, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, the obvious thing is what we did today. We are celebrating that one sacrifice. That one sacrifice that saves us. That's what communion is about. That's what Dick was talking about earlier. Mark 14, 22 to 26 say this. While they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for man. Truly I say to you, I will never drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After a singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And that's where he was taken. As he was betrayed by Judas. Again, I say, earlier today we celebrated communion. This celebration is the replacement. We are to remember Jesus died once for all. We are to remember his sacrifice was sufficient. That means there's no more need for a sacrifice. That is why we celebrate. His resurrection is proof that this sacrifice was accepted. The passage most frequently used for communion service is actually in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. There are two key, key statements Paul uses in this passage. The first statement is repeated twice. Once with the blood and once with the bread. Or once with the wine and once with the bread. And it's a command. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, we are to remember what he did. That's what communion is about. Remembering what he did. See, there's no reason to perform the sacrifice for sin anymore. He did it. And it satisfied God's requirement. It paid the full price. It gave us righteousness. It made us into new creatures. So we celebrate 
There is a need to show thankfulness for this sacrifice. Because it delivered us from slavery to sin. It made us into new creatures. When we remember his sacrifice, we are standing on holy ground. And I am reminded of that word again, reverence. We should stand in reverent awe of what he has done for us. We should be doing that every day, but especially when we celebrate communion. There is another very important statement Paul includes in this passage, and it's in 1 Corinthians 11.26, and I want to read the whole verse. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. By practicing communion, we are proclaiming Christ. So we are remembering him and we are proclaiming him. Hebrews 10, 19-25 tells us that there are other things we should be doing because of his great sacrifice for us. Hebrews 10, 19-25 Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, has, he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 22 says we are to draw near with a sincere heart. That means we should be coming into his presence. That sounds a lot like prayer. I don't think this is just I want, I want, I want. I think that a sincere heart means we should maybe sometimes show a little gratitude in our prayer. Verse 23 says we should hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. That sounds a lot like we should be telling others about this great sacrifice. It also reminds us that sometimes there will be those who oppose our message. But we should not back down. Verse 24 tells us we should consider how to stimulate others to love and good deeds. This means we should make a plan. Don't just let it happen. 
What is it we should be planning? We should plan on ways to encourage others in two areas. First, we should plan on ways to encourage others to show love. Second, we should plan on ways to encourage others to do good deeds. Verse 25 tells us we should not forsake assembling together. Pure and simple, that means we should go to church. What is the motive for doing these things? What the world would tell us is it's the way to get to heaven. Some would say because it's the right thing to do. Even though living a righteous life is the right thing to do, and it is in some ways very close, it still misses the mark because if it's motivated by my judgment of what is right, and if it's motivated on my judgment of this is the right thing to do, I've taken God out of the equation and it's not the right thing to do because it's from me and not from him. Gratitude seems to be a much more legitimate reason. But in Hebrews, that is not what God says. Hebrews 10, 34 to 39 say this, For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession, a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. There's a promise. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. The key here is faith. Our faith is the reason we do good works. Our faith is the reason we walk in obedience. Our faith is actually the only thing that makes it possible for us to do good works. Our faith is the only thing that makes it possible for us to walk in obedience. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we must always remember that this sacrifice he did for us is effective because of our faith in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you did perform this great sacrifice for us, that we can walk by faith. Remind us that every day it is a walk trusting in you for each and every step. For every step we take, 
as we trust in you as a step of faith and a step walking in your righteousness and a step that is truly in obedience. Remind us each day that we need to obey you. And as we do, we will see great joy in our lives. We may not see a lot of things. We may not see many possessions. But we will have the greatest possession of all, and that's you. In Jesus' name, amen.